Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I am Bill Arnold, and we are going to have a terrific hour today. Ken Samples is going to be our guest on the program. He's written a book called, well, he's written many books, called Humans 2.0, Scientific, Philosophical, and Theological Perspectives on Transhumanism. I have no idea what that means, so good thing Ken's going to be on the show. Say, if you need some serious bragging rights, and I'm talking serious bragging rights, you're going to want to get tickets to come uh, for an exclusive studio audience event with myself and Jeff Redorn coming up on November 21st. We've got uh, some tickets left, but they're going fast, and the tickets are free, so you can join us on November 21st. That's a Thursday, starting at 7 p.m. We'll record the show to air it later, but you'll be part of a wonderful uh, time of uh, Bible teaching, and we're going to talk about the hidden and heavenly truths of Christ's parables. So bring your Bible and your questions and a notebook, and you can uh, be guaranteed you'll have a good night. Look forward to meeting you in person. We'll have some coffee and cookies and all kinds of uh, fun laughs and a great time to study with Jeff Redorn. Now, uh, to do that, all you do is go, go to MyFaithRadio.com, and you'll see the, the tab, or you'll see the advertisement to say, I'll click on that, and that'll get me seats, and then I can know for sure I'll have seats, and then you can start bragging to your friends. I don't know about you, but I got tickets to the uh, live studio event with Jeff Redorn. You can start bragging about that. That'll be good. All right, let me take 60 seconds, then bring on Ken. If you eat loads of pumpkin pie every day, you might be a bit heavier. If you watch three football games every day, your eyes would grow weaker. If you travel to see family every day, your wallet would be lighter. But if you give thanks every day, well, life would be a lot brighter. As you listen to Faith Radio this season, we hope you can focus on the most important things every day and be filled with gratitude. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Declaring that God's love echoes in the depths of who we are. All for you, I was made to leave a mark, carry fire in my heart. No matter where I go, I want my life to echo you. I was meant to make you shine, be a reflection of your light. In everything I do, I want my life to echo you. you Faith Radio, worshiping with you. What about technology? We've got a lot of it going on, and how far are we going to take it? There's unprecedented developments in bioengineering and biotechnology and biomedicine, breakthroughs that could definitely improve the lives of people that have disease and injuries, but can also it could be a stepping stone to something that can lead to other human enhancements, 
and I'm going to need Ken Samples to help me with all of this. He is a senior research scholar with Reasons to Believe, an adjunct instructor of apologetics at Biola University, and he's the author of many books, uh, Classic Christian Thinkers, God Among Sages, and Seven Truths That Changed the World. And the one I'm holding in my hand is Human Scientific, Philosophical, and Theological Perspectives on Transhumanism. Ken, welcome to the show. Hi, Bill. It's good to be with you. Always nice to talk to you. I always look forward to it because I always learn so much. But right now you're a little over my head with this stuff. Well, uh, transhumanism is a a bit complex, but uh, it's a very influential movement that I think Christians need to know about. Okay, so let's just talk about what is it? What is transhumanism? Yeah, I would define it this way. I would say that it's an intellectual and cultural movement that seeks to transform the human condition with the use of science and technology. So uh, you you have... uh, you have the possibility of enhancing the human condition. And, um, you know, with our, with our technology, some of this is, uh, is actually possible. And would the military, for starters, be mostly interested in some of this information? Well, I, I think that, uh, I think clearly when it comes to uh, parts of it, yes, but I, I think in many ways, I mean, I mean, it deals with things like the possibility of expanding the human lifespan. Uh, it involves uh, genetic engineering, maybe the idea of changing genes within uh, an embryo, and uh, probably the most uh, uh, controversial one is the possibility of having a brain-computer uh, interface, and. Uh, so it w- it would include possibly the military, but it, it could include virtually anyone. Wow. Okay. Maybe we can talk about some of the the obvious values of bioscience and technology in terms of treating disease, because we all know that would be like morally acceptable. Can we talk about that? Yeah. I mean, I mean, think about uh, think about the possibility of. Uh, you know, let, let's let's say a, a person has no legs or no arms, uh, having implants that would allow them to, uh, you know, achieve locomotion. I mean, I'll bet you've heard about these runners who've lost feet. They've put these implants on, and now some of these athletes are world class. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, uh, there's no problem with wanting to enhance the human condition, take away suffering. Uh, mobilize people, if you will. Uh, no problems with that at all. I mean, I mean, glasses. I, I'm wearing my reading glasses right now. Uh, they help me. Uh, they're an enhancement. Uh, there's no problem in in trying to enhance people's ability. But then we get into the area of actually changing the human condition. That would be a very controversial issue. But if I could bioengineer really cool carrots and you ate them and you could see better, that would not be bad, would it? Well, uh, that, that might be, uh, that might be a, a possibility of, of, of helping people. But then, then we would deal with questions like, you know, what if you uh, re-engineered uh, a fetus? That is, what, what if you, you know, changed uh, issues that actually uh, affect the way human beings exist. And 
that that would be that's a much more complicated idea. Mm-hmm. When we start to hear about theories that come out that is promising immortality, that that's when I always kind of do the eye roll because the Bible talks about you know the allotment of years you have on this earth, and then the idea that science wants to come along and help you live much longer. What is, what is your response to that? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question. Let me let me start with this. Um, if you were if you were born in 1900 in America and you were a white male, your life expectancy would be 47 years. Now, let's say you're born today. Uh, you're a woman, and let's say you're a Christian and maybe a Seventh Day Adventist. You have the possibility of doubling 47. Um, now. I don't think you can go a whole lot further than that, but there are people within the transhumanism movement that argue it's it's possible to solve the genetic problem with death. In fact, there's uh, the Methuselah organization uh, taken after the, the biblical reference there. They, they have a tagline entitled, uh, Making 90 the, the New 50 by 2030. Um, it is pretty controversial. I mean, some people in the transhumanism movement talk about the idea of eliminating death altogether, uh, allowing humans to have immortality. But other people speak more modestly. I mean, what what if you could add 50 years? So there are people that are very much dedicated to the idea of the possibility of expanding the human lifespan. Um, again, the, the question, one of the questions we explore in our book, Bill, is how much of the claims of transhumanism are credible, are possible, or conceivably achievable? On the other hand, how much of this, you know, I mean, you have, you have cryonics where people are frozen, and the idea is that so, at some point they'll solve the problem of death, and they'll be able to bring these people back and uh, you know, they'll be conscious again. My favorite baseball player, Ted Williams, uh, his, his kids put him in a cryonic chamber when he died. Is, is that possible? Could anything like that happen? I mean, I agree with you. Um, I think it's, you know, biology teaches me very clearly in my own human experience that people die. Uh, the Bible talks about it as a, a, a result of our rebellion against God. Uh, but it is it is possible that uh, with proper uh, science, diet, technology, maybe they could increase a lifespan. How much? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Can I say this often, that we create technology, then it turns around and recreates us. And you think of the iPhone was, wasn't around 12 years ago. Well, that's right. I mean, I mean, think of the things uh, I... I you know, I think of my father, who was a combat soldier in World War II. I mean, um, Lindbergh was his hero. You know, my dad saw cars and airplanes and advanced technology and then atomic weapons, uh, you know, intercontinental. He, he saw people land on the moon. Um, you know, technology grows. Uh, but of course, it it often has, you know, a downside. I mean, you know, you have uh, you have drugs uh, that are made into medications. Medications try to treat maybe the high blood pressure or this or that. 
But the problem is sometimes when you take one pill for this thing, it has side effects. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, science and technology can be good things, but then they can become very challenging depending on what, what it is and how it's used. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I want to open up the, the uh, text line if anyone has a question or wants us to clarify what's uh, been said so far. Let us know what that is. 877-933-2484. Ken Samples is my guest, as he is a regular guest on the show, so I always love having him on. We're talking about uh, transhumanism today, so let us know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Samples is my guest. He's a regular guest on my show. I'm always loving when he's on. He's a philosopher and theologian. You can always go to reasons.org to learn more about him. Author of several books, Christian Endgame, Seven Truths That Changed the World, God Among Sages, and the one we're chatting about today is Humans 2.0. And as I think about technology, it certainly, you know, it's, it's been great that technology, medicine, science, everything else has helped us live longer. I mean, I think of, you know, Mozart died at 35, and he had six kids, and only two of them lived into adulthood, and neither of them married. I wonder what kind of genes he would have passed on to his kids. Well, usually uh, Ken has a re- clever response by now, but I don't hear him. So, Yes, I'm here. You are. Oh, awesome. Okay, good. Yes. Well, you're, you're, the point you make is, uh, you know, a fascinating one. I mean, if you lived in the Middle Ages, you... Uh, you might live to be 30. Maybe, yeah. you know, if if everything went well, maybe you live into your 40s. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, today, uh, there is the possibility of living into our 90s. Um, and so some of this technology and, of course, medicine and science, all of these things are, are very positive. But there is a deeper agenda, and that would be, is it possible to change the very nature of human beings, maybe to the point where we move beyond the human condition. And I get a little nervous when it gets into those particular areas. But the idea of maybe having, uh, you know, a person who lacks a limb, a leg, uh, you know, implants that can help take away pain, give mobility. Um, I'm, I think those are very, very positive. Mm-hmm. A listener named Justin was jumping in, talking about, I think he was referring to, you know, your Ted Williams cryogenically frozen, but, you know, could they freeze my my soul to survive as well? And, of course, no, absent from the body is present with the Lord, or the other direction. Yeah, and, of course, what what's interesting here, Bill, is this, you know, this raises questions, because there are people, um, uh, Kurzweil with Google you know, he says that possibly by 2050, we'll reach uh, a place where there'll be, you know, a, a real development in technology where it's possible they'll be able to take the consciousness out of your out of your mind, out of your brain, out of your head, uh, place it on a computer, and uh, so you'll no longer be enfleshed, and then you can live out various lifestyles or whatever it is dictated by the the computer 
But of course, this raises all kinds of ideas about what does it mean to be human? Is it possible to take our consciousness or our mind uh, and take it out of you know our our flesh existence? Uh, and of course, I would argue that some of the ideas set forth by transhumanism, which, by the way, is is a very overall a very secular movement. There are some Christians who are called Christian transhumanists, but by and large, it is a secular view. So, um, from a secular point of view, your consciousness is produced by your brain. If you can untangle it, put it on a computer, you know that that would be a, a major step uh, in. Uh, science and technology, but I have deep doubts that any of that will ever take place. Mm-hmm. Another listener asked, do you think that all this government research that bought baby parts from Planned Parenthood could be going into this transhumanism? Well, it's, uh, you know, one of the areas that I think is is deeply concerning, you know, is the idea that we would, uh, you know, start to play around with with the embryo. I mean, we, we know that certain genes um, allow for the, you know, the dire possibility that people will have disease. But what if, what if we rewired these things? But then, you know, the concern is that we're kind of playing God. And yeah. humans don't have, a, they don't have a very good track record when <laughs> oh, we try to do things like this. And so I think what's really, really important behind it, Bill, is this, that you know, Christians have a fundamental belief that we're made in the image of God, and because we're made in the image of God, we have inherent dignity and moral worth. We have value. We should protect people. Um, but with secularism, if there's no God, there's no image of God, how do we follow? You know, is it is it some kind of, well, the greatest good for the greatest number? I mean, one of the areas that I critique in our book is uh, I'm not sure any kind of secular ethic would allow us to use this technology uh, in the most appropriate and most ethical way. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, chat about this idea that there was this organization that said 90 will be the new 50 by 2030. Uh, just yep. That just stuck in my head. So let's talk about what's problematic about increasing life expectancy. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you first think about it, uh, hey, I mean, you know, uh, people today uh, in their 50s, uh, it seems kind of like the the new 30. I mean, I, I think if I think back to my my father, um, I'm I'm probably in quite a bit better health than my dad. But you got to remember, my dad was a, a coal miner during the Depression. He fought in World War II. My dad had a lot tougher life than I had, but uh, you know, when you take care of yourself, uh, medicine, technology, diet, exercise, it does seem that people have maybe a bit more robust lifestyle. Of course, there are always differences with these kinds of things. But what if I could live a hundred or two hundred years longer? Hmm. I mean, then we start to get into other questions like, uh, what would that do to Social Security? Uh, what would it do economically? What would it do in terms of growing food? How would we, how would we deal with all of the, the economic and social challenges that that come along with that? So, you know, the the idea that people are going to start living into a hundred or two hundred years old, it would change a lot uh, with regard to uh, 
you know, the way the way our country is set up. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to figure out how you would put the brakes on all the changes that go on in your body as you get older. I mean, okay, you live to 150, but you lost all your teeth at 90. So, um, you know, what would it be like? Yeah, I mean, and of course, you know, again, these are questions um, where we may say there is a, you know, a hefty expectation in terms of of uh, the things that may happen with transhumanism. But there are people who look like, you know, the Methuselah Society. They look at the human body and they ask the question, is there something that we could possibly genetically turn off where people would not age the, the way they do? And where, and and of course, maybe there would be these implants where a person could uh, utilize those kinds of things. But never, nevertheless, Bill, you're exactly right. This is not an easy issue. And uh, who would get these implants? You know, we today we live at a time where people feel like, hey, I'm not always treated fairly. Maybe people discriminate against me because of my gender or my race. Well, who would get these special implants? Would it only be for the rich? Mm. Uh, how would we sort all these kinds of things out? I mean, I think you, you'd have you'd have a lot of people feeling, uh, you know, kind of discriminated if they didn't get these kinds of scientific advanced uh, states of being. I could just see me kind of showing up with my Groupon for my special implants. I got a Groupon. (laughs) Come on. All right. I got a question. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we have time to cover this before the break, but uh, I'll get things started. How do vaccines fit into the realm of transhumanism? It seems that more and more vaccines are continually added to the CDC schedule as if they are trying to achieve superhuman immunity. Will it ever stop? That's from a listener. Yeah, well, you know, again, there is this issue of, uh, you know, science and technology can add benefits to our life. But they also raise, you know, other issues. I mean, uh, my doctor has me take a particular medication, but then uh, we discover there's a side effect. Oh, well, we, then we got to try to deal with that. You know, I, I think overall um, vaccines have been very good with, you know, things like measles and smallpox and things of this nature. Um, but it, but all of our technology raises the question, uh, how much control can we have and how successful can it be? Mm-hmm. All right, Ken, a lot of questions still coming in. Um, let us know how you'd like us to, uh, if you have questions for Ken, 877-933-2484 is the number. You can text a question. I'll ask it on your behalf. Again, 877-933-2484. Ken Samples is my guest. His book that we're chatting about is called Humans 2.0, Scientific, Philosophical, and Theological Perspectives on Transhumanism. We'll be right back.
finally found your walk-up theme song, Ken. I like it. I know you do. You picked it. <laughs> <laughs> Ken Sapples is my guest, and we're chatting about Humans 2.0, scientific, philosophical, and theological perspectives on transhumanism. All right, here's a question, a uh, comment that came in. A question, let's see, after reading Forbidden Gates, one of the major issues I see is the issue of man being made in the image of God versus using technology and genetics to remake man into his own image. Comments? Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I think that that is uh, an important issue. I, I think there the question is, what, what, and who are human beings? Are we creatures made by God in the image of God, and therefore, because we resemble God, we have these qualities and characteristics that He's given us? Do we have an inherent dignity? Uh, therefore. You know, human beings need to be be treated well. Uh, on the other hand, if there's no God and we're the product of blind, mechanistic evolutionary processes, um, do we have the right, do we have the responsibility to maybe change the structure of human beings? And so one of the one of the central ideas, Bill, in transhumanism is the idea that maybe we're not stuck in our our evolutionary status. That is, uh, again, it's a secular perspective, but maybe human beings have the capacity to kind of change the human condition, maybe even moving us to a post-human condition. Um, in our book, of course, we note that uh, you've got to have some kind of ethical basis for all of this. Who's going to get the technology? How will it be used? Um, you know, can we can we trample the people that that uh, are at the bottom? So. Ethics plays a big part. Worldview plays a big part. Mm -hmm. Another listener said, in Genesis, we see people commonly living well over one century. So as science advances, uh, we very well could find out how to undo what caused us to lose that longevity. What are your thoughts? Well, it is true that there is a, a place in, in Genesis that talks about long lifespans, um, Yet Scripture says that our death, our physical death, is the result of uh, our sin, that we've sinned in Adam. Adam was our, our father, and um, he was our federal representative, and we have sinned. Romans 5 talks about sin leading to our physical death. You know, I, I think of the idea of kind of changing that or overturning that. I don't think that that's going to happen. But, you know, as I mentioned before, we have recognized that uh, you know, dealing sanitation practices, getting rid of our waste, uh, di diet, exercise, you know, there are benefits from these kinds of things. But uh, I think there are, there are real limits. And so I don't see, um, I don't see Ray Kurzweil at Google solving the problem of death anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like the secular world is always searching for some kind of utopia or some kind of fulfillment outside of Christ. Well, and I think that that's really an important point. It's one that we pick up in our book. Uh, I wrote it with my colleague, Fuzz Rana, who's a biochemist, so he deals more in the science. I deal with the, the philosophy and the theology. But one of the points, Bill, that we make is 
know, people can't live without hope. People can't live without a future. Uh, we want an eschatology. We we want to think that, you know, there there's hope. I mean, if God doesn't exist, I think there are certain implications that follow from that. You, you, there's no life after death. There's no objective morality, even though a lot of secular people still believe in objective morality. Uh, and there's no ultimate purpose to life. I think in some ways, transhumanism as a secular movement is trying to give people some kind of sense of hope, uh, uh, a future. And in some ways, I, I think they are competing with the Judeo-Christian worldview that says people are made in the image of God. We find redemption in, in Christ, and we have a, a future, not only in heaven, but then a resurrected state uh, and living with, with God forever. Mm-hmm. Another question from a listener, Ken. Do you think the beast in the end times could be artificial intelligence? Well, um, I don't know. I, I try to be very judicious about, um, you know, looking at eschatological perspectives, but I, I guess I'd be willing to say this. You know, we are at a time where people are considering things like artificial intelligence, um, we're in a position where we've seen a lot of advancements in the area of uh, science, technology, computer, medicine. Uh, as we as we think about future things, I can see how issues like that will continue to be on the forefront. And I think it's possible that while they could be used for good by maybe a, a totalitarian leader, they could be used for a lot of bad. And then don't you get nervous when you start to see the, the blending of of artificial intelligence with humans? And, you know, Bill, that's really transhumanism. Transhumanism okay. sees that blending of the, the human and the technology. They're, they're working uh, together. Um, you know, I, again, I think in the Christian worldview, I mean, the Christian worldview, we could talk about various stages— creation, you know, fall, redemption, consummation. Well, that fall is is very critical. Do I want people in a position of making decisions? Well, I, I have to realize that, you know, human beings are fallen. They make misjudgments. They tend to be selfish. Uh, they're greedy. Um, so I, I often think that transhumanists don't realize that you know, humans are, may not always be benign. They may not always be benevolent in, in the way they treat people. Mm -hmm. Ken, what part of technology has caused you to have the strongest reaction so far? I mean, there's been some interesting advancements in artificial womb technology, hasn't there? Yeah, and I mean, th these, are, these are extraordinary things. I mean, uh, look, I would say this, if, you know, if it's possible that you know, we can discover that certain people may be predisposed to have breast cancer. And if there is a, you know, a, a way of putting them in a, in a better position where maybe that doesn't happen, uh, I think all of those things are very good. But when we start to manipulate the genetic code, when we start to actually have designer babies, and I just don't think human beings are have the kind of wisdom, forethought, moral reflection to do that. And so, should we play God? A lot of people, a lot of people say we're already playing God, uh, but I think that's where Christians need to step up. That's where we need to say, look, um, we have an ethical system 
that we think can guide these these very challenging and difficult issues about science and technology. Uh, so I don't think Christians should be quiet. That's why we wrote the book. We we think there's some good things about transhumanism, but we also have some real concerns about it. Yeah. Well, maybe we could talk about transhumanism and the gospel and how those two uh, connect or don't. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I mentioned before, Bill, I think in some ways transhumanism is offering a alternative perspective. And so instead of salvation coming through the Messiah— who comes into the world, lays down his life as a sacrifice for sin, I think transhumanism says, look, maybe maybe science and technology can solve all of these problems that we have. Maybe the crisis we have in the world, it can be solved by education. It can be solved by this remarkable enterprise we call science. And so in, in some respects, I think that there is a, a parallel challenge Ultimately, however, I think that the so-called gospel of transhumanism uh, is a counterfeit. I don't think it can answer the fundamental problems of of human nature or of the human condition. And so, in some respects, transhumanism is an alternative worldview or kind of a secular kind of religious perspective that that competes with traditional Christianity. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to figure out if the if the transhumanism is a way for us to feel better and live longer and just have a better quality of life, or at the core of it is something that's evil, that, you know, we want to live forever and we don't want God to interfere with how long we get to live. We're going we're gonna to figure out a way to live much longer than God ever had designed us to live. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think on one side of the coin, I mean, you know, when you get to be a little bit older, you realize, boy, my I don't feel quite the way I did when I was in my 20s and 30s. I may not be able to uh, do some of the things that I could then. So there is a real temptation to want to give people better quality of life, maybe a longer life. But, you know, in terms of the idea of actually changing the fundamental condition or solving death. Um, in my view, death is not merely a physical uh, material issue. It is also a spiritual condition. Uh, and and in some ways, death isn't all bad. I mean, maybe, Bill, maybe, maybe it is good that death is ominous. Maybe it is good that it is, uh, we're as afraid of it as we are, because it has this powerful tendency to get us to look up and to give consideration to things that we may never consider before. That is, maybe death is a severe mercy. It's severe, but it's merciful because we start to say, I need I need help. Uh, maybe I need God. Maybe I need Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Another listener said is reincarnation transhumanism. Well, I, I, at least it's touching on the idea of trying to transform the physical condition. Uh, You know, I mean, reincarnation would involve death and then being put back in the flesh. But the parallel that they have was maybe we can prepare this body, maybe we can transform this body, maybe there'll be a fusion of the physical and, you know, the technological, and that will put us in a, you know, an exalted state. Uh, so at least it has some parallel with the idea of uh, reincarnation. Mm-hmm. 
Ken Samples is my guest, and he's written a fascinating book called Humans 2.0. We certainly have time for some more questions. Lots of questions are coming in from listeners, and I bet you have one yourself. Maybe it's something we've already said that you would like us to clarify, or maybe you've got your own question you'd like to start, and Ken would be more than happy to answer it. The number to call, or not to call, but to text is 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. The book is called Humans 2.0, Scientific philosophical and theological perspectives on transhumanism. Aren't we learning something today on the show? We'll take a short break and be right back. Ken Samples is my guest. We're chatting about his book, Humans 2.0, Scientific, Philosophical, and Theological Perspectives on Transhumanism. Ken, maybe you would talk a little bit about um, just the problems with moral relativism, whether it's individual relativism or cultural relativism. Like, whatever I think is morally right is going to be right, or the, uh, the culture would say, whatever my culture says is morally right is right. That's secularism all the way. Yeah, and the context for that bill in our in our book addressing transhumanism is, you know, if we have this advanced technology and uh, these enhancements are then, you know, as are given as possibilities, how will we move forward in terms of of ethical issues? Um, you know, generally the Christian view is that because we're made in the image of God. We, we therefore have uh, an ethical system that is, is connected to, to God. Um, but if there's no God, how do we then navigate these kinds of things? Do we, do we, uh, do we say, well, we'll just uh, we'll follow the greatest good for the greatest number? Well, part of the problem with that idea is who decides what is the greatest good? And then what about the minorities? Mm-hmm. Why why should we give it to the majority over the minority? If we opt for some other kind of relativistic system, again, we seem to have difficulty finding any kind of objective basis. I mean, if if ethics is is reduced to the you know the present condition, then we're left with this kind of moral relativism. Whatever a person thinks is right is right, or whatever collective society thinks is right or right. It's difficult to critique that. It's difficult to offer an element in that. And so what we do in the book is that we argue that, um, you know, uh, Christianity has a a very powerful insight, and that insight is that humans have dignity and value, uh, and therefore they should be protected. They should be protected in the womb. They should be protected uh, when they're older, even when they have Alzheimer's or something of that nature. Uh, that humans have an objective dignity. And we think that all of these secular ethical views, you know, wh- whether it's a, f- a form of uh, relativism or other, that those are, those are problematic. Mm-hmm. A very wise uh, listener just uh, chimed in and said, if people simply knew how much God loved them, they would be so eager to go and be with him than they would spend uh, time trying to extend their stay here on earth. 
which is uh, very true. Well, it's a it's a powerful point because you know, put yourself in the place of a of an atheist who says there's no God. Uh, our life here is transitory. Maybe I'll live. Maybe if I'm lucky, I'll live to be ninety. If mm -hmm. I'm unlucky, maybe I'll live you know half that long. Um, and so they don't have any belief in God. They don't have any belief that they will enjoy God's presence. And so. In some respects, they're trying to come up with maybe some kind of salvation or some kind of hope or future uh, through science and technology. I just think in the end, uh, you know, it doesn't produce what they what they claim that it will. Mm -hmm. Ken, I know there's been uh, people who have just climbed into their cars and they're just tuning into this discussion and the transhumanism. You know, I think all of us go. It's exciting when when medicine has breakthroughs. I just read that there's a possible drug or medication that will allow people with cystic fibrosis to not have it be a, a you know, a, a, a life ender, but something that you can just live with. And so everybody stands up and cheers when we have breakthroughs like this. So at what point do we start to raise our eyebrows and go, ooh, this, this is going too far? Yeah, that's, that's a terrific question. And that's uh, the issue we try to wrestle with in our book. And I think the basic position that we come down on, Bill, is you know, if, if science and technology can ease suffering, if we can help a person, I mean, I think that's the Christian vision. I think Jesus talks about loving your neighbor. I think it talks about caring for people in need. If science and technology can be utilized to ease suffering, give, give a person, um, you know, a, a better opportunity in life, that's good. I think the the line that we don't want to cross, however, is to get to a place where we start to change the nature of the person. Things like gene editing, you know, other issues, tr thinking about taking consciousness out of the body. Mm. I think at that point, we, we've kind of moved away from helping people and we're exploring what may be science fiction, but it, it, it may also be, you know, uh, potentially hazardous to many people. Mm -hmm. Ken, can you explain gene editing? Well, in just a, a simple way, I mean, the idea that maybe we're now in a position where we can change a person genetically. Uh, I mean, issues arise that, you know, we look at a person's genetic background and maybe they're predisposed toward certain illnesses, uh, maybe severe ones that could kill them very early in life, or maybe a woman will develop breast cancer. If if we can change that editorial, uh, you know, if we can change the genetic pattern, maybe we can get that person away from various illnesses. The problem, however, it's it's much more complicated. Uh, we don't know that we can do that, and you know, again, do, are we in a position of with wisdom and ethical understanding? Uh, to be able to to act like God. Yeah, I mean, at what point do we use science to help people, and at what point do we go? We're using science to play God. That's it. That's exactly right. And I I think that I think we have to weigh in. I think Christian Christians who are in science, who are in philosophy, who are in the various medical fields, I think where that's where we have to bring the Christian worldview and our. Uh, our perspective and, and weigh in a lot on a lot of these issues. 
And I, I think another challenge, though, is that some people would see transhumanism as completely bad. It's a, you know, it, it's an alternative worldview. It has possible negative repercussions. Well, all of that's possible. But the position we view is that some of this could be good and some of it could be consistent with the Christian worldview. But there are other things we think are deep challenges and that we should stay away from. Mm -hmm. Ken, when did you get interested in, in this subject? That's a really good question. I, I think about uh, five or six years ago, I uh, saw an article about transhumanism, and it, it intrigued me because I thought immediately, wow, uh, they're thinking about the future. They're thinking about a <clears throat> hope that maybe with science and technology, evolution doesn't have to be the end. Maybe we can continue to to develop. And I thought, boy, this mirrors Christianity. And it it really indicated to me that human beings need hope. They need a future. Human beings need to know that, uh, you know, may, maybe there are solutions to the human condition. Uh, then my colleague, Fazrana, who is a biochemist, he was interested in the science and technology. And we thought, wow, maybe this is a subject we need to address. Mm-hmm. So maybe we could talk a little bit about how transhumanism might just be a glorious opportunity for the gospel. I really think it can be, Bill. I mean, I think when we start to ask questions like, what does it mean to be a human being? And what is our, what is our possible future? What is, what is our hope and, and, and meaning in life? I mean, can science and technology really solve our fundamental issues? Uh, what, what are our ethical problems that we have? I think this does give us an opportunity to talk about how the Christian worldview, you know, uh, attempts to come up with uh, answers to, to life's fundamental problems. And I, I think it also gives us an opportunity to show that while we are appreciative of science and technology, while we value uh, the, the good things that have come out of it, it has real limitations and it has potential dangers. So, yeah, I think this gives us an opportunity to to uh, to talk about the kinds of things that are really important in life. Mm -hmm. Now, Ken, you're a philosopher and theologian, so you're a deep thinker. What part of this transhumanism has boggled your mind the most? Well, that's a that's a really really good question. I I, I think it has raised issues. Uh, for example, um, you know, th this this uh, brain-computer interface, this idea that you could take consciousness out of the, the brain, out of the, you take, take mind or consciousness out of the brain or your head and, you know, put it in a computer. I, I think it's raised questions like, what does it mean to be a conscious person? And what is consciousness? And what is the relationship between my brain and my mind? Um, you know, the, the great Catholic philosopher Thomas Aquinas, he said in the intermediate state, that is after death but before the final resurrection, Thomas suggested that we were not fully human because full humanness is always to, to be enfleshed. Our future will ultimately be in a resurrected body. Well, um, you know, how much of us is our brain? How much of it is our mind? So I think transhumanism has uh, challenged me to think about how do I define uh, human beings and, and the human condition? And then, of course, there's a lot of 
a lot of thought about, you know, these enhancements. What what would we do to human beings if we were no longer, uh, you know, just flesh, but we had become kind of flesh and machine? Mm-hmm. That's a fascinating thought, because I've had that many times thinking about that um, phase when you are absent from the body, present with the Lord, what kind of state are you in? Yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, I I had a brain illness in 2003. I was very sick. I had abscessed brain lesions. They were pumping me with, uh, with medications to, you know, to try to take the pain away. And I remember thinking to myself how difficult it is to have a coherent thought. And I thought, well, what does that say about my mind and my brain? I, I think before my illness, Bill, I thought I, I thought I was a, a soul who happened to have a body. After the illness, I thought, well, maybe Thomas is more right, that we're a union of body and soul, mm-hmm. that our body, our body really is us. It's not all of us, but it really is us. Yeah. Ken, it's so interesting. Thank you so much for doing the show. Thank you for being a regular guest. I love having you on. Our listeners love you. This book, uh, you've made it a much uh, more approachable, just the way you've explained it, because I looked at some of the pictures and there were some diagrams of cells, and that that makes me run. So uh, <laughs> thank you. Well, it's uh, my colleague Fuzz Rana is the, is the science guy, but, you know, Bill, you have a great show and you have a lot of faithful listeners. Thanks. You handle the show really well. It's a pleasure to be with Thank you. Thank you. Ken Samples has been my guest. That wraps up our show for the day. Thank you. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.